You are tuning in to the Game Sports Show, powered by the Game Entertainment and Media, or known as GEM. This is the Little Caesars Pizza Special Edition Upload. Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, where there are three locations within the community and many more locations nationwide. Little Caesars Pizza is the largest carryout pizza chain internationally. Convenient, delicious, and cost-effective is a brief yet simple way to describe Little Caesars Pizza. You can order online through their user-friendly online pizza portal. Why wait any longer? Get on those phones, download the app, or get on your computer and make that order right now. The Game Sports Show and Jim. Thanks, Little Caesars Pizza, in particular Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario for its support. The Game Sports Show is heard on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Podbean, and Podtail podcast platform, as well as thegamesportshow.com. You can make thegamesportshow.com a part of your homepage on your mobile device by simply clicking the link and pasting it to your homepage. Also, you can follow The Game Sports Show on Facebook and Instagram, which is tagged at The Game Sports Show. Now that you're settled in, let's get into another edition of TGSS. Booyah, and it's time for The Game Sports Show. It is your host, David McCaig Jr., bringing you another special edition upload powered by The Game Entertainment and Media and sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza, in particular Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Now getting to our Little Caesars special edition co-host, Joining me for tonight's upload, you know him by now, I'm sure. He's a former professional hockey player of over 1,000 games and a hockey analyst for Jim. He's a speed demon, and he's known as Mr. Top of the Circle Clap Bomb, Brendan Brooks. Brooksy, how's it going, pal? Man, I'm uh, looking forward to the show today, and uh, it's good to be back. You know what? It's awesome that to have you back. And, of course, we have a very special guest, as we always do. Now getting to our little Caesar Special Edition guest. Now everyone should sit down, get your... Northern Superior pint ready for this and your snacks because I like to make these long. Now, he's not afraid to drop the mitts with you. He will most likely beat you. He is a Toronto boy drafted sixth round to the Dallas Stars in the 2007 NHL draft. He is an Erie Otters alum. He played 147 NHL games, grabbing eight points and 206 penalty minutes. Also had 306 professional games outside of the NHL and the AHL and the East Coast Hockey League, totaling 550 professional games with a total of 87 points and 853 PIMS. Oh, and if you want some more stats thrown at you, he not 72 points in 138 games in the Ontario Hockey League, totaling 407 PIMS. Yes, we do our research here on the game. He played for the Edmonton Oilers and New Jersey Devils in the National Hockey League, most of his NHL tenure with the Edmonton Oilers, most notably with San Diego and also most recent. And if you follow him on social media, you'll know him not only is he a hockey player, but as per Twitter, he is a caveman also. The one and only Luke Gazdick. Luke, thanks for taking the time to come on the show here tonight. Man, what an intro. I appreciate it. Let's start off with this. As it seems fitting for the role you had in the National Hockey, how did you learn how to fight? Like on the ice, of course, it's instinct, I'm sure. But something you got to train a little bit extra for, no? I think so, yeah. But it was something I just kind of fell into. I, I swear, man. I played uh, Junior A here in Toronto. I had a couple scraps, and um, it was never really my thing. I, I, um, I don't want to say I was a goal scorer, but I, I was, um, you know, m- more of a skill forward and uh, just a bigger power forward that liked to get to the front of the net. And then I, I got to the O, and uh, I had a couple fights real early, and I did real well. I think I had maybe had three or four fights in my first two or three games, and. And, and, you know, I kind of looked over. I said, you know, man, I'm doing pretty well here. And uh, the more I fought, the more ice time I got and um, the more space it got for me and my line mates. And, and it's something I, I kind of just fell into uh, over my career. I, I don't want to say I didn't practice it, but I did more uh, game specific stuff. I was always working on the ice with other guys and 
and, uh, you know, scrapping here and there and sparring here and there. Um, not too much off ice work. It's just something you kind of have to, you have to experience and you have to do it over and over again to learn kind of the tricks of the trade. See, now there's one person in this room with me inside the game at Media Studios that has fights as well. Now, obviously, uh, I don't think you're known as a heavyweight, Brooksy, but you got, you got, you got some fights that are in the top 10, I believe, that were listed in the top 10. Can you remind listeners of that fight and maybe even Luke? Yeah, well, you know, I had many, you know, I fought uh, a few tough guys, but Rick Rippon was the one that uh, got the most uh, views and uh, noticed by uh, HockeyFights.com, and uh, he was a warrior, and uh, he's definitely missed. Definitely. Now, you know what? One thing that we'll say, Brooksy, I wouldn't fight you, even though people probably think I would, and I definitely would not fight Luke. But you know what? As listeners know, we like to plays here with the show's agenda and with our special edition guests now it keeps our guests on their toes if you will but i wanted to go on topic of certainly sadness here a little bit to start off the show which is kind of a different direction but of course a recognition to one who was a big loss to the game luke uh of course walter gretzky father of wayne gretzky whom i've shared stories with numerous times on our show because i have many memories with walter including being his pen pal when i was younger but i'm sure you also have stories with as well but even with walter there's another loss within oil country uh joey moss now sportsnet had a feature on him anything for joey i know you promoted it on your social media and it was aired in january i know the time of this recording we're just in the end of march but you were involved in the feature and as you mentioned on your twitter post i certainly already went into a great deal of explanation to the media but to those who are not familiar with joey moss and the effect that he had on canada and the sport in particular with edmonton can you educate our listeners about him and what he meant to the sporting world i can uh just to touch back uh uh circle back before we go um rest in peace obviously to walter gretzky the original father of hockey i met him at a at a OA tournament i think in east gwillenberry ontario small town um, a couple hours east of toronto and you know he always had time for everyone so i'll just I'll, i'll say that right now i had a picture with him and just a really nice guy to me and my parents so rest in peace obviously to the the original father of hockey uh, but Joe Moss is not a, it's not a household name. Um, he, he never really was uh, unless you were a part of the Edmonton organization. And he originally um, was brought into the locker room in uh, in the 80s by Wayne Gretzky. Uh, Wayne was actually dating Joe's sister at the time and, and brought him on board to, you know, do some odd jobs. And then uh, what do you know, uh, 30 years later, Joe's still in the locker room. And, and when I got there, I didn't even really know Joe. I just saw him. The first memory I remember of Joe was in the 2006 playoffs in the Stanley Cup Finals versus the Hurricanes when all the fans were singing. You can see Joe behind the bench just absolutely, you know, going ham on the national anthem. And that's where I stood for every game when I played at Rexall and I could hear him sing every anthem. Uh, but to those who don't know, Joe was our locker room attendant, uh, you know, one of our trainers. He did a ton of odd jobs around the room. He vacuumed, he did bottles and he was always there for some comic relief too. Um, he, uh, he obviously, uh, you know, had Down syndrome and, and was a, you know, a big proponent in the city and did a lot of good for the city. Uh, and I honestly tell people, I think he's more famous than any oiler that ever went through there. Uh, we used to take Joey out for lunch here and there, and and it was always a comic show. People always wanted pictures with him, and he was just a really cool guy, man. Ever, you know, every time I was in there, he always brightened my day, and I'm glad that they they asked me to be a part of that, um, the doc on on Sportsnet. Anything for Joey, if you haven't seen it, uh, I'm sure it's on demand somewhere. If you have Bell or Rogers or whatever. Um, but it was great that I could share some stories with him because he truly made my time at Edmonton a better place. I always remember sitting down for breakfast and 
you know, whether it be me or Sam Gagne, Taylor Hall sitting there. And Joe always had us in stitches every morning. So well, you know, whether we lost the night before or won, it, it was always nice to have him around. See, the big thing, the one term that I've heard out of multiple terms was a true Canadian icon. Uh, that was one that we've heard, like, uh, I think uh, Ron McLean was one to use that term as well as as well as many other media experts. But having such strong memories, right? And he was a passionate Oiler fan, right? Like, and you just said he was around the room, of course, involved in the organization. And, you know, <laughs> of course, I'm sure he had a lot of strong hopes with the, the team that's currently on the ice for the Edmonton Oilers with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. But truly a big fan of the Oilers and will always be missed. But that term Canadian icon, is that not fitting for him? Uh, it truly is. Um, I couldn't even tell you if he's in the Canadian hall of fame or whatever it is. I'm sure he is. And if he's not, he'll be in there very shortly. Uh, it, the thing about Joe is everybody knew him and Joe knew everybody. So no matter who came in the dressing room, what was so cool about playing at Edmonton, especially in Rexall, it was very, you know, kind of a closed-knit community. Not closed-knit that in the sense that we're not letting anybody in, but it was just a smaller rink and a smaller lounge. So every time I was up there, there was always somebody in there. Like a, like you said, a Ron McLean or Gretzky or Messi. Someone was always in there, and he remembered everyone's names. He knew everybody, and uh, he was just a cool, down-to-earth guy. Um, and like I said, man, he made my time at Edmonton exponentially better than I, I think it would have been without him. Well, there's one article that I looked at for the Global News. He was inducted in the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame, and that was uh, an article from Dory. Okay, yeah. That's, of course, well deserved. But and nonetheless, transitioning now into yourself, Luke, where you played, obviously, a lot of places. We're going to touch into a lot of things, get into a lot of stories. But the one thing I want to jump into right off the hop is you spent time with Erie, of course, in the Ontario Hockey League. Now, in your three years... You play with a mutual friend of ours and a fan of the show, Zach Turquato, Torque, as we like to call him, and we'll probably reference that name as we go forward instead of saying Zach Turquato every time, so just so listeners know what Torque means. But also you had a chance to play with Ryan O'Reilly, as well as Greg McKaig. Now, I, I mentioned Greg McKaig because that's the same last name as yours, Shirley. However, he spells it a whole ton fuck better than I do. Okay, <laughs> uh, with the K in there. And, however... With adding that spelling in there, and besides all that, it being better than mine, in my honest opinion, what can you get into describing with your memories about Erie? Well, a couple of things come to mind first, and I think that's uh, – it's so cliche, but the boys, the teammates that we had there, not not a knock against Erie, but it's, you know, it's probably not the best city to play in in the OHL. Uh, it's a blue-collar, hard-working U.S. town, uh, smaller fan base. Um but man, did we ever have a good time? We went to high school there. Um, I ended up spending three years there. But the friendships I made, guys like Mike Lambus and like you said, Zach Torquato, Snook O'Reilly, uh, Greg McKegg, who we called Molson back in the day, um, our head coach Robbie Fatorik, um, who I can say without hesitation is is my favorite coach I've ever played for. I learned more in in two years under Robbie than. I don't want to say in 10 years of pro hockey, but man, he taught me a lot about the game real early when I was developing. Um, and what an incredible building to play in. Uh, it's just gritty and, and it's too bad. We didn't have more success. We made the playoffs our last year. and We lost in the first round to a very, very good London Knights team. Um, it's too bad. We didn't have more success, but, but we, we had a great time, man. We were always at the rank hanging out. We were really close knit and, and I still have some of those friendships like uh, our buddy, our mutual friend, Torque, who I, I still talk to on a daily basis. Big follower of the Fed, and he had to stop. 
well as he's a little bit older than uh, yours truly, but his dad was friends with my dad. And whenever Torque had the old third he had to bring me. So I was that kid that I'm sure he was annoyed to be around a little bit. But obviously, uh, just a great guy and someone uh, that uh, obviously has done pretty well for himself overseas as well. But there's a story about Torque, okay? And I asked and I was talking to Torque and I mentioned how uh, we were discussing, we were having you on. And he told me, he said, to say Torque, like words to, to, to Luke, and he'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So this is what he said. Ask him about, quote, the house, unquote. Now, the floor is yours getting into this tale about the house. Oh, man. You know what? I didn't I didn't know what two words you were going to say. I, I was hoping it was going to be something I remembered vividly. And the house is an absolutely vivid memory for me. Um, the house is where we lived in junior for the better part of ooh, two and a half years, uh, something like that. Uh, there were four of us living there. It was me, Zach Turquado, goaltender Yaroslav Giannis, who ended up having a great career with Team Slovakia. I don't know if you remember him from the World Juniors. He stoned out the USA. And Justin Hodgman, who's still playing overseas. He's had a long career. Um, the four of us lived in a house with two older billets, Carol Ann and Gordon. They were 75 and 72 years old. And we had the whole basement. And um, it was as hockey house as you could ever find but with four junior kids and, and, you know, basically grandparents upstairs that made us, uh, made us lunch and dinner every day and breakfast, whatever we wanted. They were like our grandparents. Um, can't get into too many R-rated stories. Not that there were any, we were young kids. We weren't getting up to that much trouble, but, um, man, spending every day with, uh, three of your best friends in, uh, in a very small house in, uh, in suburban, uh, Erie, Pennsylvania was, uh, I'll say it was an absolute gong show, but it, it was uh, it was a great time, man. And those guys are still my best friends to, the, to, to this day. But the house was truly legendary. Everybody on the team always came over at some point. Uh, our, our door was literally always open. I think literally it was open. Uh, we just had the screen door and then whoever could walk down the stairs. Coaches would show up like it, it was just you know we'd always get checks on because they thought we were up to too much trouble but yeah it was a it was a good time man we we had a great time at the house you had i was told by from a lot of people that played with torque they loved his breakfast and i've also heard stories he likes cooking breakfast in his boxers okay i heard that little tale about torque now well the guy just never he never wears clothes any like anytime i think if, if he has boxers on that's a good thing dude he uh i never knew he was always just walking around and whatever i just wanted to you know it's really tradition on this show is uh to talk about the draft and uh i just want to know you know uh your experience and uh what that was like you know you were drafted in the sixth round 172nd overall by the dallas stars and is there anything you can share with us about that day uh that from what you remember I definitely can. I it's one of my most uh, fond and vivid memories. Um, I, I think every kid in their mind, especially when you're in your draft year, I was 17, uh, Toronto kid. Um, everyone wants to get drafted, and and you have that feeling in the back of your mind. You know, maybe someone will take a chance on me. And I had 20 goals my my uh, my last year, but I, I didn't score that many goals uh, in my rookie year. I think I only had five or six, and. I fought a lot. I fought everybody in the league. There was to fight pretty much all the heavyweights. I, I tried to take a run out and I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't talk to one team. And then uh, on the Tuesday or Wednesday um, of the week, uh, the week prior to the draft, so the draft's on Friday, I think it was a Tuesday. I got a call from our regional scout here, not our, the Dallas Stars regional scout here from my area. And he said, Hey, you know, um, would you like to go for lunch? And 
So I ended up having lunch with a scout from Dallas, not thinking too much of it, but I, I thought, you know, if he's going to draft me two nights or if he's going to, if they're going to draft me, then, you know, a couple of days before here, this is a perfect time to maybe get to know me. So I had that in the back of my mind. Um, I went to an all boys private school in Toronto and uh, I went to an all girls private school prom on the Friday night. <laughs> and so, um, so I went to prom that night um, with a friend of mine and, we woke up at um, at a buddy's house and I remember telling my parents, I said, just don't call me either way. You know, like whether I go or, or I don't just just kind of let it go. And then I'll wait till the draft goes and we'll figure it out from there. And obviously um, no one's going to wait if I get drafted. So the sixth round happened and I went 172nd overall to Dallas in the sixth. And uh, my phone just, you know, it just started erupting. And as soon as it started erupting, you know, around 2, 2.30, I knew something had happened. So I, my buddy called me and he was screaming, oh, you just went to Dallas, just went to Dallas. So I came home and we had a bunch of people over and, um, yeah, listened to some music and, and had, a, had a good time. It was one of the best days of my life, truly. I'm getting choked up thinking about it because all the accolades and stuff that I've accomplished in my career, I still think that that was one of the coolest days for me. Just having no real expectations and, and seeing your name on a draft board when uh, you didn't really expect it was was pretty damn cool feeling. Imagine what that was like for you. Uh, you know, I, I'm just curious, you know, like, did you always know that Dallas was uh, really interested? That was like the main team or, or had you talked to some uh, other teams prior to this? I'm not kidding you. I think we did a, a like a psych exam. So the New York Islanders have this like psychological exam and they put like eight of us in a room in Erie and it was like a 400 page or 400 um, question uh booklet basically on on uh, the psyche of your mind so that was the only interaction i had with any nhl team um and dallas just came out of nowhere like i said i think he called me the night before i think he called me on monday night and said hey do you want to have lunch tomorrow tim bernard who was the regional scout here and um it literally just came out of nowhere so no it was it was dallas all the way and um and uh, we see uh, we see what happened from there well, the big thing is in that draft, and you speak of the draft board, okay? Now, you got you got drafted ahead of particular guys, and I want to name it. I want to name a couple of them. Obviously, you got drafted ahead of Torque. I think you probably knew that. Uh, Honestly, I didn't know that, but I'm yeah. sure he's going to listen to this. So I, did, I actually did not know. I thought he went ahead of me, but all right. You also went ahead of Nick Benino, Paul Byron, Carl Gunnarsson, Justin Braun, and Fraser McLaren, if I had correctly from what I – it's, no, it's Fraser McLaren. He played for the played for the Leafs. Tough guy for the Leafs, if you will. Oh yeah, I thought him. I thought him. I yeah, I fought him. That is, that's what kind of leads it to me there. But now those are some names that you were ahead of. Now, how does that make you feel? You know what I'm saying? Like you, sure. Shit, they, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Dallas might have made a mistake then. I would have probably taken Benino. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, man. It, it's it's obviously nice to see like guys guys that have made uh, long NHL careers and um, getting drafted out of them. Like I said, I didn't think I would get drafted in the first place. I wanted to walk on somewhere. I, I knew even if I didn't get drafted, I was going to walk on and try to beat out everybody that got drafted ahead of me. But that's pretty special to hear some guys that have made long NHL careers, um, me being ahead of them and even my buddy Torque. So uh, definitely another, uh, another thing to be proud of. Now, you know what? You're a Toronto play. All right. Did let's be real and frank right now. No offense to Dallas, and you may chirp me for this, or maybe you'll agree with this. Okay, this is outside of Dallas. I say Dallas didn't pick you, and they weren't even in the National Hockey League. Says what if nonsense. But you're a Toronto boy. Did you hope that maybe Toronto was a team that was going to call your name in that draft? 
I mean, that's the number one, right? Um, I know you guys are from the Sioux. Um, not sure how big Leaf fans you guys are, but growing up in the city here, man, there's no other way than, than blue and white. I, I've been a Leaf fan my whole life, like even secretly, right? Um, even throughout pro hockey, I, I was always keeping tabs on the Leafs. And, you know, we always had the NHL package. So if, if we could get home and, and, and sneak in a Leaf game, I was always throwing on a period or two. And even to modern day, I'm still pretty uh, I'm still pretty, um, pretty involved heavily in the Leafs. I, I want to see them do well. Um, obviously playing against them my whole career and playing against the Marlies and the Leafs my whole career, you got to look at it a different way, but heck yeah, man. When I was, when I was hoping to get drafted, you know, the Leafs are, that's the upper echelon and uh, not a lot of guys have that, um, you know, have that ability to be able to, 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 to be put in that position. So I've always wanted to get back here and play at some point throughout my career. It just hasn't worked out for some guys. It does. And, and for me, it just hasn't, but still a big Leaf fan here uh, to modern day. Hey, uh, I'm a Southern Ontario boy, to be honest. I'm not uh, from the Sioux originally, but uh, I grew up in St. Catharines, and uh, you know I was a Sabres fan, which is a hard thing to say. <laughs> right now, I know, yeah. Border, it was easy to get to, and uh, my dad used to print the uh, programs for the Sabres, so we had season tickets there, so I went to all the Sabres games, so... I was always battling with the Leaf fans back in the day, which is shocking because most of the people down south are, are, like you said, all Leaf fans. I know. I hear you, though. I'm a big Bills fan. Um, and my dad was actually drafted uh, in 1978 by the Buffalo Sabres uh, in the third round. So even growing up, I, I had a little soft spot for the Sabres as well. He never ended up playing there, but um, I have a soft spot for the city of Buffalo. I'm Bill, big Bills guy, like I said, but uh, I kind of looked up to the Sabres as well growing up. Amazing. Um, as Dave touched on earlier, you know, you weren't afraid to uh, drop the go- the gloves at all. And, you know, I just want to kind of talk about the t- game and you know, how much it's changed with the fighting. And, and how do you feel about this? Well, you know what? It's something that I've taken some time to reflect and look back on. Uh, I definitely have no regrets on anything I did in my career, uh, you know, physicality wise uh, was a was fortunate enough to be a part of a documentary called ice guardians in 2014 um producer out of edmonton adam scorgy kind of went through our role and and kind of explained to people how it was still you know it's still important important role and i really still think it is and i think you can see this year it's kind of turning a little bit back you can see there's there's um there's a little more going on this year there's a little more rough stuff and which is bizarre because there's no fans in the building i guess there's just more animosity with teams playing each other more uh but it's it's flipped you know basically 180 since i since i jumped into the league pro when i was 19 i I went into boise idaho when i was 19 uh, in the east coast league and uh, to see where it was then and where it is now is is basically night and day. Uh, in the American League, when I was younger, you essentially had a bottom six of guys that were absolute killers. Uh, and if you were a tougher guy and you wanted to establish yourself, there were a number of guys you had to go through. Uh, but that's all I really knew. Uh, I fought everyone and everyone I had to 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 try to stay in the lineup and uh, you know work my way up to the NHL, which I successfully did. Uh, but then it was almost like one day uh, all the, the fourth lines and the bottom six got turned into very smaller, skilled, uh, fast units. So I, I've I've basically seen, you know, both spectrums here uh, throughout my career. I've watched it go up. I've watched it go down. And now I'm kind of watching it start to trend a little bit back up. But 
it definitely just wasn't like it used to. I try to explain to the kids these days that I'm playing with or that I did play with uh, how much different it was. And it, it was honestly like a different game, especially in the American League. And, uh, you know, I was just wondering because you mentioned Idaho and I, I was just wondering, did you happen to run into uh, Yabo? I know you didn't play with him there, but I know he lived there for a long time there in Boise. And uh, I was just curious if uh, you ever had any interactions with Jeremy Oblonsky, who's a good friend to the show and uh, and to myself. No, you know what? There's certain guys, especially, you know, there's kind of that credo with tough guys. We all kind of know each other and have met each other. Um, but he's one guy throughout my whole career who I've never met, I've never fought, and I've actually never even played a game against. Uh, there aren't too many like that, um, but he's one of them that I never, you know what, <laughs> thankfully I probably didn't have to play against him. We would have probably would have probably had a good one, but um, no, I haven't met him, haven't, um, you know, haven't crossed paths, uh, heard a lot of good things. Uh, most of these guys are really good down-to-earth guys. They were just kind of doing their job. Um, but I'm kind of glad I didn't cross paths him, like I said, because he's a big lefty, and I'm sure we would have, uh, sure we would have uh, exchanged a couple. The, the the thing is, when you're speaking of fights, and now everything with someone like yourself who's had some well-known fights, and I can list a couple right here: Kevin Westgarth, Patrick Borlow, Clayton Stoner. Okay, and that Clayton Stoner fight, by the way, I found a routine in all your fights: right, right, uppercut, right. <laughs> okay, I mean. And listen, Kevin Westgarth video, and you can like you can check out these videos on YouTube. That's where I watched them, and you you made him basically just kiss the ice, you know, essentially. You know that it's you've had some you know some tough opponents that you just overpowered per se. But is that the move? Is it right, right, uppercut, right? Have I figured out the Luke Gazdick move or what? Well, shit, I think it took a lot of people like ten years to figure it out, and you watched probably four fights and you figured it out. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that exact combo. Uh, but you can look. I, I like to like I, I like to lead and let guys bite. Uh, I like to let guys extend or overextend over and try to catch them vulnerable. Um, you can see I like to bait guys in with certain punches. Um, some work, and it's not always that exact combination. But it's sometimes when I throw a punch, I can actually feel, you know, I can feel the counter coming, and um, and I know how to perfectly work that. And I'm knocking on wood right now, just in case I ever have another one. But um, there's a certain pattern that I noticed with guys, but this wasn't for lack of preparation. This was something that I not only practiced on the ice, not only practiced on a, on a punching bag, but um, after every warm-up and before most games, I was watching film of guys that I fought. So these things didn't really happen by accident. A lot of things aren't, are generally by accident, by luck. I'm watching these guys' fights. I'm watching to see, you know, what happens when they get hit? How long can they last? Uh, are they lefty? Are they righty? Are they good on their edges? I, I pretty much know everything about every single guy I'm going to fight before it happens. And so it's like a goal scorer or, or you know, a 50-goal guy. Austin Matthews probably knows the, the tendencies of most goaltenders in the league. And if he's going on a shootout, he knows if he can go five-hole, whether I'm, you know, uh, I'm doing the same thing for fighting. I, I kind of knew a lot about everyone that I was going up against. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's not really a fluke. Maybe there's a pattern, but um, it was, it was pretty decisive in what I was doing. The fights now it's so like, you can watch the old fights. And I really believe obviously a lot of tough guys in the day, McSorley's someone like yourself and even a Ryan Reeves, those type of type of guys. I would tell Mr. Reeves' face himself, probably knock me out, but I think you can take care of him pretty good, to be honest with you. 
Well, I'll just say this right now. I don't, I don't like causing too much controversy, but he's one guy over my career who I never got to, you know, I ne- we never got to have a good one and it wasn't for, for me not trying. Um, I love to try to get him going most games and he's the type of guy you really got to get under his skin. He, he, it's kind of on his terms and I was never a big fan of that. Um, I asked him to go a couple times and by a couple, it's probably two dozen. Um, but it never, uh, it never happened. So uh, I, it never happened. And I, as of now, I don't, I don't think it ever is going to happen. So that might just be one that will have to go unsettled. I uh, won't tell you if I think I would have won or lost it, but you guys can guess the answer. And um, yeah, I don't think it's just, I don't think it's going to happen. Let's set that up. Rooksy, let's cause uh let's make a, a match, like a UFC match for, for Luke and Reeves. <laughs> you know, how was it just being a part of that excitement in Edmonton? Because at the time, despite that we all know what it's like now, how it didn't really work out with a lot of those guys there in that particular fit in Edmonton. It must have just been exciting to be with all the young uh, core that Edmonton had from all their first overall picks. Man, you know what? When I first walked in there uh, after getting picked up from Dallas, it was one of the most surreal experiences for me because I was a minor league guy. I knew a lot of these guys, but um, actually walking in the dressing room and getting to see them and getting to, you know, talk to them. Um, I don't know who you didn't mention. I'm guessing it's probably Connor a couple of years later, but Taylor Hall was there too. And Andrew Ferentz, who had just won a cup in Boston, was our captain. And um, Ryan Smith was the first guy I saw when I walked in the dressing room. And he had that old school, uh, Brooksy, you probably know what I'm talking about, the old school blue gitch on, like the long sleeve cotton blue gitch. And, um, yeah, and he just said, hey, I'm Ryan. Nice to meet you. I just remember looking at him. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I know. Like, uh, so uh, it, it was really cool. And, and you know what? Those guys were all really cool. And they were really good to me. Uh, Sam Gagne was another guy there who wasn't young at the time, but had turned pro when he was 18, turned to the NHL when he was 18. And um, it was such a fun locker room to be a part of. Um, Boyd Gordon was an older guy there. We traded for Matt Hendricks the next year. So we always had like this really, really cool locker room. Uh, we got along really well and uh, had a good time on and off the ice. I remember, you know, playing cards on the plane and stuff like that. We were, we were always uh, really tight. It sucks that we just didn't, you know, do a little better on the ice. We we just didn't uh, produce on the ice as well as we should have, which is crazy because, you know, if you look at the lineup we had. Um, but it was definitely just a cool thing to be a part of with so much young talent. And um, guys only see them not guys, but people only see them playing in games. And I, I got to be on the ice with these guys every day and see some of the things that they were pulling off in practice every day. And I was just trying to keep up most mornings. The, the one, the one thing is I'll go to this right now. We, I was going to bring up Dallas Aikens for a second, but I'll, I'll pause for that for a second. You, you guessed it. The player that I was going to bring up was Connor McDavid. And I guess I shouldn't forget about Leon Dreisaitl when he went in there. Cause he was, uh, he obviously wasn't Connor yet at that time as Leon is really, I think, grown since he's obviously first entered the league but nonetheless the story i want to get into right away about Connor mcdavid okay and i'm i'm sure it's a story that you've been asked okay because i believe if i remember right you were in the lineup for this game and november 3rd 2015 i'm sure you remember that day a little bit maybe not but you were in your third year with the oilers and obviously someone i mentioned named Connor mcdavid people may know who he is if not he is a hockey player but he gets injured Okay, he breaks his collarbone from uh, from Manning, of course, on the Philadelphia Flyers. And obviously, look at the box score. As I said, you were in that game. Can you talk about how it was 
being in that action on the bench, the feeling it was for the team, because I actually was watching that game and I saw that happen with my friend who is an Oiler fan and one of our analysts on the show. And I don't think I've heard someone say the F word in a sentence more than one time (laughs) to the board. Like, honestly, how did that all go down in your head? Like, I'm surprised someone like yourself, you know, maybe didn't want to jump the bench and just go after it yourself and put them through the boards. Well, to be honest, I had to think about it first if I was playing or not because I didn't play a lot that year. Um, but there were so many things now you're now that you're saying that. I remember sitting beside Taylor on the bench, and there were so many things going through our and my head as well. Um, a, we didn't know how bad it was. Um Cause he's, he got up and skated off himself. I know he was holding his shoulder, but it wasn't like he got stretchered off. Uh, it wasn't like he was knocked out cold. So, uh, you know, we thought maybe, you know, maybe it's a, you know, a shoulder, maybe his shoulders just out, you know, we weren't really sure. And then the, the second part of that, um, we, we didn't even know who hit him first. Cause there were like three guys. If you watch the video, two or three guys that kind of force him in. And then we cu- we kind of found out that it was Manning, but then we didn't see the replay, so I didn't know if it was intentional, and I didn't want to just start running around. I'm not sure if it was a close game, but I feel like it was, and I just remember there were so many things that went in on top of us just being like, holy shit, like, is this kid going to be all right? Um, he was our roommate at the time, me and, me and Taylor. We all lived together. Um, we all lived at Taylor's house, and so I was more like you know, just trying to figure out if the kid was okay at first. That's all I was really thinking of. I I think our whole bench just kind of stopped and we were just like, Oh no, like this, you know, this doesn't look too good, but there were just so many things going on. So many things we were thinking of that, you know, grabbing a a random flyers defenseman at the time or, or, or doing something stupid um, wasn't the first thing going through at least my mind, you know? Uh, You know what? Like Connor, of course, that that game, you guys won the game four two. Uh, and against the Flyers team that, you know, obviously Flyers are known as a team that gets rough. They always have Broadstreet Street Bully days, et cetera. But watching that video, I'm going to say it flat out. Manning, of course, says it wasn't intentional. But, okay, maybe he can say it wasn't intentional, but it certainly looks like he could have not have done it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, from someone else who's played in this room, myself and Brooksfield, Brooksfield a lot higher than yours truly, of course. But, you know, in the moment, you make those, like, obviously things happen. But I think in that particular moment, it's hard to say that that wasn't kind of intentional to push them. I don't want to say that someone went out to hurt somebody. That's not fair. Okay. But at the end of the day, that's a young kid who went in there, was having a good, strong start. And, gets a broken collarbone and he's out for months right i believe it was three to four months he was out with you guys at the time and yeah it's just it's just rough of course right it seems like the luck of the oilers nation all right like you know just can't have nice things eh? (laughs) hey one one thing i'll say about connery obviously i think he's gotten tougher since he's like obviously his first year obviously you come in as an 18 year old and you play six years things are going to change but, you know, those are things that throughout the whole year, Connor and Manny were chirping each other the entire year in numerous videos that you can find after that happened. When they played, I think it was one or two more times, he tried to call out Manny when, and then he scored a goal in Philly. And Connor, it looks like he said, I'm not putting words in Connor's mouth, but it looks like he said, fuck you to Manny when he skated by him after he scored it. So I can see Connor has a little bit of a, a feisty side in him, though. He does. He it's that competitive edge, man. He uh, it doesn't matter whether he's been uh, beaten physically, you know, or, or 
you know, beaten on, uh, on the ice, whether it is, he, he wants to get the edge always. He is without a doubt, the most competitive person I've ever played with, um, to a fault almost. Right. He, he loved to carry, not carry stuff over, but he held grudges and he would remember little things and little, you know, specific things about guys on other teams. And, um, he could make you pay, which is the best thing about Connor. He's that good that he could not only make you pay, but he could make your entire team pay. And you can see that until modern day. Uh, I don't specifically remember the Manning one. We only played Philly twice a year. They were in the East. So I'm guessing it was the, the game in Philly. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure if I was playing that game. Like I said, I didn't, that, that third year, I didn't play a ton. Um, it was actually not cool, but when Connor got hurt, uh, he was out for those three, three and a half months or whatever. And, uh, I was scratched a lot. We got to hang out a lot at the house. So I got to, you know, basically pick this kid's brain and, and hang out with the guy and just become good buddies for, for months. Um, you know, and we came back, you saw how dominant he, he was. You know what, honestly, that's, uh, it's an understatement of how good that kid is. I say kid, come to me, but honestly, he's an absolute. No, and, you, and you know what, I'll cut you off just cause saying like, it, you got to see him on an everyday basis too. It's people get to see him playing games this year is whatever, 56 games, but a lot of people don't even get that many Oilers games to get to practice with Connor every day is it's something special because I truly have never seen another player like that. And I will never see another player like that. I can almost guarantee you maybe my entire life, the speed in which he moves the, his ability to think the game and do it at a high speed um, his edges, his hands, and and his competitiveness just sets him apart. And uh, whether it was practice or a game, um, to be there with him every day on a day-to-day basis, and even to sit there and watch Sports Center with the guy and and get him to try to you know break down you know plays here and there, I'd say, hey, you know, what were you thinking on this goal? And he would break down his mindset. And I just remember thinking like, he this kid, he's on a different level. He he's on a different level than than all of us. We're we're down here and he's up there. You know. This was what he was meant to do because, you know, he has everything with speed. He doesn't lose speed when he has the puck, and that's one of the rarest things I've ever ever seen because I like to think I was really fast, but to see the speed he goes when he has the puck is just – it's unbelievable to watch. I mean, he almost picks up speed when he, when he gets the puck, right, where um, I, I get the puck and I kind of just cruise. You kind of you, – you throw on the burners a little bit or you start gliding and you look for the next play where – not only he has the next play and, and three others that he's already thought of before he's even picked up the puck. Um, uh, yeah, he, he's thinking, you know, a step or two ahead of ahead of the competition. And um, as you guys can attest to, it's it's fun to watch, man. The one thing that I was going to say quick to before uh, Brooksy sort of cut you off there, the Dallas Aikens. Now, they're, I know it's a quick transition from Connor, but. Obviously, you have quite familiarity with Dallas Aikens, right? Of course, with with San Diego, if I'm correct. Oilers now. He's a unique coach for his health and nutrition. I remember when he got the job in Edmonton. Okay, he he was the threat on the table of like fruit, grapes, pineapple, uh, kiwi. There's probably some boost energy. There's probably there's a bunch of protein. Literally on a stationary bike all the time, and probably the best shape I've seen, coach. Unless you're Rod Brindamore, of course, who is an absolute truck. But what can, in your words, how do you describe Dallas Akins? Because with the Leafs, there is a guy that everyone thought would be the successor one day 
to be one day the head coach of Toronto for the future, but we all know that didn't work out. Uh, and someone else took over, and that was another zoo that we don't need to get into right now if you're a Mike Babcock fan. Sorry, but that didn't work out. But Dallas, you know, goes over to the Oilers and the Ducks organization, does well with San Diego. Uh, now, of course, you know, he's moved up in his career. So what are your words that you can describe with Dallas Akins? So Dally, Dally's the man. I'll just preface by saying that Dally's the man. He is. Uh, he came in Edmonton very hot, and I think I can say this because he said this in interviews. Also, he came in very hot. He came in with a can of gas on a dumpster fire, and he basically tried to put it out with gas. Right? He tried to change everything uh, very quickly. Uh, it didn't exactly work out, but it, his heart was in the right place. Um, I have a lot of time for Dallas. Uh, when I was toward the end of, you know, wasn't sure what I was doing. I was 29. Um, he gave me the opportunity to come down to Anaheim on a PTO and intact uh, um, in a, a PTO in San Diego as well. And I ended up making that team. I played well in preseason and ended up signing a contract. I ended up being there for two years. He ended up getting the Ducks job, obviously. But uh, I think a lot is made on, on his whole health and fitness. And it, I think it's overblown in certain proportions. Yeah, he changed some things. But at the end of the day, he just wants you to be healthy and he wants you to you know exercise and be a good person. And, and that's kind of his M.O., uh, he, he probably changed some health things. He probably made us start eating, you know, bananas instead of <clears throat> having Snickers bars there. Uh, it wasn't a dramatic, you know, a dramatic change. Um, but it, the exercising is all a, a very big thing for him too. And I didn't mind it, right? Like I rolled the bike a lot. I probably rolled the bike more in pro hockey than anyone in pro hockey in Edmonton and San Diego. I was on that thing all the time, um, doing different rides, um, but he just wanted you to be in the best physical shape as possible and, and wanted you to treat yourself right. You know, he said, you don't piss in your gas tank, right? You, you got to fill the gas tank with good, uh, you know, good gas and, um, and that's going to provide everything else. And I think maybe he gets a little bit of a bad rap on, on, on his earlier time at Edmonton and maybe some of the, the health stuff. But at the end of the day, I'll just say that he's the man. And I, I got a lot of time and respect for Dallas Akins. Always want to have uh, a coach like that, and uh, obviously you guys had a good relationship, uh, being a part of each other for two different teams. And um, you know, after your time there in Edmonton, uh, you become a free agent, and you decide to. Uh, was this, uh, you know, like the only option? A place you uh, really wanted to go at the time. Um, I won't say that it was my only option. I had a couple others. I don't want to say, I don't want to sound like a, <clears throat> like a huge free agent, but I, I had a couple other things on the table. Uh, a big one for me was uh, Taylor Hall getting traded there, uh, who was a very familiar relationship with me. Uh, we had lived together for the previous two years. Uh, he had put in a good word uh, in the organization because they had asked about me. And uh, what sealed it was my conversation with Ray Shero. Uh, who is to the day one of the classiest guys I've met in hockey. Uh, very straightforward, tells it like it is, uh, doesn't bullshit you. Um, whether it's good or bad, positive, negative, he's going to let you know. And I always had a lot of time and respect for, for that and for guys like that. So as soon as I had that conversation with Ray, I think it was very, I think it was July 1st, like kind of a couple hours into uh, 
into free agency. And I said, you know what? I had a couple other on the table, but I really like this one. And uh, same thing too. It just, it was, it wasn't a great fit. Um, if you look back at it towards the end of the year, I was up and down with Albany. I was up for maybe four or five months with Jersey, but didn't play a lot. Very fast paced style of game. John Hines, like very straight lines and, um, I just never really adjusted. I'll say that honestly. It, took, it, it was hard for me to adjust. It took me a long time to adjust. Uh, it was easier in the American League, uh, but uh, that that um, Metropolitan Division was was so much different from the Western Conference hockey I played. And I think people talk about it all the time: the West versus the East. Like, is it different? It is hands hands down, like night and day, different hockey. And I just had a different, uh, different time adjusting. But um, the reasons I signed there, obviously Taylor was one and, and Ray was another. So I don't regret anything. I have no regrets in hockey. I don't regret signing there at all. It was so much fun. It was, we lived in Hoboken or New Jersey City and it's right across, uh, you know, right across the river from, from Manhattan. So we were in the city all the time and, you know, going to concerts and, and ripping around. So it was, it was a great experience. Well, that's that's the thing. There's been a lot of positive about New Jersey, and you know, you mentioned the Metropolitan Division. I think that's the worst name in hockey for a division, by the way. I think <laughs> it's old school, I guess. Yeah. No idea. But nonetheless, obviously, after your tour with the Devils, you signed uh, in the Calgary organization, playing Stockton. And with that, of course, San Diego. And I want to get into San Diego uh, a little bit more. So, Brooksy, over to you. You know, I thank you for your time today. For sure. and, you know, this is the last tap topic we have before we go to our bonus question which we do with all our guests here and uh, you know I just want to talk about your time in San Diego uh, I never played there but I've been there and what a city uh, to me it's probably one of my favorite cities in the USA and uh, you know what was it like playing there uh, what was the support like for the fans I couldn't imagine playing there I would love to play there um, it's just a great city boys I can honestly tell you uh, without hesitation, this is the best kept secret in pro hockey. Um, the city basically has two giant parts to it, uh, downtown and Pacific beach, which is right on the coast. And that's where the majority of the boys lived. I lived a hundred feet from, from the beach, uh, 10 minute drive to our game rank, which we led the league in attendance three years in a row, um, averaging just under 10,000. Uh, we had two colleges in town, San Diego state and USD. Um, Friday nights were Bud Light nights at uh, Petronga Arena, so $2 Bud Lights, and there'd be, you know, 12,000, 13,000 in there. In the playoffs, we had close to 16,000 in there. Uh, old, very old rink, um, but kind of a bowl shape, so everyone's kind of, uh, every, everyone's got a good view. Um, it's just an incredible place to play and live. Uh, we had good support from the Ducks, who built a brand new practice facility for us up in Poway, which was a little bit of a hike, but a brand new practice facility, which was on par with any NHL one I've had. Um, don't even know where else to where else to go with this town. If you are young and single or relatively young like me, uh, getting to getting to play there on and off the ice, it was uh, it, it was it was incredible. That's all I'll say. It was, it, I, I can't say enough good things about playing there. Uh, and yeah, I, I know everyone's doing bachelor parties and always going down there and you spend a weekend here and there. And if you like to golf, guys were playing, you know, golf courses like Torrey Pines three days a week. And um, for anyone listening that doesn't know about San Diego hockey, you'll probably know about the gulls now because I'm just, 
uh, I'm elated when I talk about them. I loved my time there. Now, nonetheless, okay, you with playing in San Diego. Obviously, Max Comtois was a teammate of yours. Now, I wanted we don't we're not going to get into this topic that we say off the hop. It leads to something else. But he was a teammate of yours with the Gulls and faced serious like inappropriate action via cyberbullying for his miss against Finland in the World Juniors. Now. Obviously, playing in the AHL is different than playing in the NHL. Even cities in the pros are different based on media, unless obviously San Diego looks like a pretty fucking bopping place, obviously, or sounds like it. But you play in a tough market in Edmonton, of course. Any Canadian market you play in, it's tough, even if you mention Ottawa. I know I know Ottawa gets chirped all the time about its location, of its rank, and all that, but it's still actually a pretty passionate fan base. It's just the location of the rank. But going back on track, is social media ever a thing? that you fully looked at when it comes to people talking about you mentioning you on social media or your fight videos on YouTube where he said, Holy shit, didn't Luke just knock that guy right on his ass. He's knocked out. Like, is that something that you paid attention to or is noticed in the hockey world that maybe people don't know, like people actually do follow that sometimes Were you one of those people. Uh, I won't lie early in my career. I was for sure. And the emergence of social media happened very early in my career. Twitter was around, but it really took off in like, I think around my second or third year where everybody was on it. Um, And you can search your own name and you can look after games and yeah, fight videos on YouTube. You can go down, look at the comments. We used to have these, you know, like hockeyfights.com. You can read all the comments. And I used to, and it used to kill me. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was a spiritual awakening, but one day I woke up and I just stopped. I stopped reading everything and I saw how much it ate on guys. Like I'd be on the bus and I'd look over someone's shoulder and they were searching their own name on, on Twitter to see what people were saying about them. not even searching their tag, just searching their name to see what people were saying about them. And you know what? I, I just, I, I felt that, you know, life's too short. Your career's too short to be giving a shit what other people think about you or whatever people think about, you know, what, your game was like or what that fight was like yeah i mean you know what it is and and you know what your teammates know what it is and at the end of the day that's it's the only person you gotta you, you you're playing for is the person in front of the mirror you know you, you got to look at number one first and don't care what the minions say and what what the the egg profiles on twitter have to say about you um <clears throat> so i yeah i i don't look into it too much and i and i haven't for for years uh, and I, I'm glad it's, it's taken a weight off my shoulders. And anytime I, I, I don't try to preach on guys, but man, it just weighs on you. Your, your career is too short to, to care what, you know, people think about you. So I, I wish more young kids would, would take that mindset because social media can be toxic and, and uh, yeah, your life's too short to be, to be giving a shit about small stuff like that. Yeah. For me, social media wasn't a big thing. To the Twitter party and I actually got it when I headed over to Europe and you know for me as a player I found it was so good on the sense of like if I needed something and I was living in a new country new city and you know you post something on there a fan would find a way to get it for you it was amazing I want to uh, oh what's that person people play St. Andrews one day I just put it out there anyone able to take me to St. Andrews and I had like different people calling me to say, hey i'll take you i'm a member there and you know i ended up going to play saying and that was to do with the social media and and that was one of the good things but like you said it, it you know game 
how uh, the cyberbullying is going. And, and like you said, you got to just, you know, the young guys got to just forget about it and move on because who gives a shit? They're going to do it to everybody. And so, uh, you know, that, that was my two cents on the, on the social media. Well, one thing that I'll, that I'll even say flat out, Brooksy, is that it's just evolved. Way people interact anything absolutely or except but nonetheless we'll jump into our final I guess you could say last topic bonus round and now Luke this is something we bring up people we have we have one question each that we ask out of the blue it's basically a one answer type question one of the bonus questions and I always go first because Brooksy has the one that uh, touches the heartstrings a bit more. Maybe it's been, it's been I'll be honest, it's been voted better than hockey. It pisses me off, but nonetheless, uh, you have brothers that are hockey players, and obviously your dad. Of course, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. You're, you have Ben and Mark. Uh, ben, whom played in Austria, Mark, whom had a brief time in the Ontario Hockey League. Correct me if I'm wrong. That. Your dad was drafted in 1978 to the Sabers, of course, as we mentioned. Uh, and obviously had a season guy with all the top connections. You're obviously having the most professional time, but nonetheless, besides that, what is your favorite childhood memory that you can recall with your brothers, father, both, or family in general? Hmm. Um. You know what? The first one that comes, it's so cliche, though. Uh, the, the, fir- the first one that comes is uh, our backyard rink here in Toronto. We yeah. live in a smaller house in North York with a 50-foot lot, and my dad would make this rink. Every night he'd be out there in full gear with the garbage bin, uh, plywood, plywood boards up, and the three of us would get out there as soon as we could. I would fake sick all the time for school just so I could skate on the rink. Um, and we would just beat the tar off each other, man, just beat the wheels off each other. And, uh, we had this green garbage can, which was our Stanley cup and we'd play one B one B one. And, um, I hope that I would win most times. And it would usually end with me winning, raising the green garbage bin over my head. And then my older brother taking it and beating me senseless with that garbage can. So, uh, and then I remember my dad just be out there like late night, you know, in the pitch black with the floodlights on, um, flooding the rink um and i just remember how uh, you know looking back and thinking how cool that was so i'll say our backyard rink i know a lot of canadians have them and and have had them growing up but that was where me and my brothers learned to play the game and and learn to be competitive yeah that's definitely you know what i mean a dream for Canadian is that you know we all have the backyard ice in in uh when we get uh, that was a great memory for myself as well. So, you know, that's that's great you had that with your family. Uh, my question is, um, was there one coach or someone in your hockey career that really made a huge influence on you? You know, you know whether it was later on in your career that kind of really helped with your game or uh, was this was there anyone that's just really kind of taken you by the reins and, and helped you out? Um, I mentioned him earlier and I'll, I'll you know – I'll, I'll circle back to it. Robbie Fatorik uh, was my coach in Erie. And Robbie taught me everything. I can honestly say he taught me everything. He, uh, skill-wise, he taught me how to shoot the puck. He taught me how to stick handle the puck properly. He taught me how to 
use my eyes and, 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 you know, use my head to make plays. And he also had no time for bullshit. Like he knew I was tough and he called me out a couple times to be more physical and, to you know, maybe scrap a little more. And he knew when to push and he knew when to, you know, take off the reins a little bit. Uh, and he was a funny fucker too, man. He was, uh, he got jokes for days and, me and Torky and a couple of those guys in area used to just sit at the rink all the time and just like shoot the breeze with them. He had this booklet of guy, every single guy that he's ever coached. And it was just this legendary booklet. And, uh, he had all these cool old clips and he was just this old school guy. Um, and you know, there's some pro coaches, like I said, Dally was really good to me. Um, but I, I think overall, man, um, overall Robbie Fatorik was the guy for me. See, there's always that coach or someone that's had an influence on our life with it. And you know what? It's obviously you've had some memories. I know you've had some great memories with Torque. So kind of wrapping up here, Luke, I, what I want to do is I want to give you the floor uh, with, you know, promoting where people can follow you on social media or uh, anything that you maybe wanted to bring up that we didn't ask you today. I thought we like giving the floor to our guests either at the beginning or the end, just for you to kind of bring out something with yourself or something that you're doing now that maybe we didn't get to uh, if you wanted to do so. Well, guys, I'm on social media in both in both respects. My name's always Luke Gazdick, Instagram, Twitter. I'm not playing right now. I haven't made any decisions. I wish I could make a big announcement for you right now. And, oh, damn. Uh, but I, I, I'm just not there yet. Uh, but uh, look forward to some cool things in the future. I got I got some cool things some some cool things I'm working on. Haven't ruled out you know any avenue, um, but nothing uh, nothing too much to promote right now. Just keep an eye on my social because I'm not too active on it. But um, I, I got some things cooking for the future. You know, but he's gonna be active because the show will be showing up nonetheless. And we got breaking news unfortunately today. <laughs> As of, maybe I might have to send a message to Kyle Dubas and say, hey, man, need some more stamp paper. Yeah, legit. Yeah, get me to Toronto. <laughs> get to try to get that cup this year, nonetheless, as we have two Leaf fans talk here. But enough of the bias. Poor Brooks, he's a Sabres fan. He also played for the Wings. He also played with Iserman. Brooks, yeah, I'm surprised, like, you know, like, you should just only love the Wings. <laughs> well, I loved it when he played. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Nonetheless, you know what, Luke, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to Brooks for letting you in here. Uh, I want to say thank you for taking the time. Of course, you know, it's fantastic that you I took the time to come talk on the show. I know you and I uh, will be in touch going forward in the future. Brooksy. Yeah, I just want to – I wish you all the best in the future, what that may be. And, uh, we'll definitely support you uh, in those endeavors. All right, cheers, boys. I appreciate it. Definitely, you know what that's Luke Gazdick. Check out his videos on YouTube. He is absolutely kicking everybody's ass on there. It's fantastic. This show is has been brought to you by Little Caesars Pizza, Little Caesars Pizza, particularly with Sault Ste. Marie. And I've been sitting here enjoying Northern Superior Brewing Company beer. Brooksy has his light beer. Watching those cows. I'm having my 17th North, working on my dad bod, and I'm not even a dad. That's how we do it here in Sault Ste. Marie. I know Luke's over there grinding as well. We're all grinding, and we appreciate everyone supporting the Game Sports Show, powered by the Game Entertainment and Media. Make sure you hit like, follow, and subscribe on all of our platforms, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Podbean, Podtail, Facebook, Instagram, and our websites, thegamesportshow.com. Now, I'm here to remind you, keep your stick on the ice, swing your bat, catch your touchdown, drain your threes, and shoot your shots. Booyah.